the murder mystery podcast. The story unfolds each week. Will you guess the killer? Hi, this is M.F. Kelleher. We've had a couple of questions about the audiobook of Season 1. If you'd like to get hold of a copy, search M.F. Kelleher on Audible or Amazon. Thanks for listening. I'll see you soon. On the Murder Mystery Podcast, it's The Venetian Affair. Episode 2 Seagulls ride on the air outside the bedroom window, and Olivia watches the birds catch the natural eddies and remain stationary in mid-air, twenty feet from her balcony. She goes downstairs to look for the breakfast room and finds it after twice going into the wrong place. No one else is about. She chooses from the sideboard, sits in the sun at a large rectangular table, and thinks about the work she needs to do for Paddy Cornish. The outlying events that have happened may or may not be connected to the job. The skiing accident and last night's intruder both seem peculiar. What did the man want with her laptop? He had seemed in a panic when he pushed past her but his focus to only try and break into the laptop and tablet tells her that he wasn't an amateur. A blonde man enters from the corridor. Hello, he says overdramatically. You must be Jess's friend. Olivia, she says, holding out her hand, which he shakes. Charming to meet you. I'm Philip. I thought you might be. He raises his eyebrows. Jess told me about her family, says Olivia. Always good to be talked about. He has a smooth, untrusting air about him. He is handsome, with dark brown eyes set in an innocent face. I'm a lawyer, so I never give away any confidences, she says a little too flirtily, to her own annoyance. Oh yes, very intriguing. A confidant. He serves himself with food, and sits across the corner of the table from her. You placing Roger Thorne? Was he your father's lawyer? She says. Worked for Dad four years. What happened? She feigns ignorance. Tried a black run in Closters, came a cropper. Were you surprised? She says. That he died? She nods in the middle of a mouthful. Of course, but I get the impression you're interviewing me. I am, she says flatly. He stops and slowly cuts some cheese and ham on his plate, but doesn't eat it. Olivia watches his brain taking into account this new person in his home domain, and how best to behave with her. Are you looking into the accident? he says. No, I'm just interested. You mentioned him. She can tell he is not used to getting outfoxed. He is used to being the wolf. Tell me about you, Olivia. Commercial lawyer, worked in the UK, Europe and the US, she begins. A lot of international mergers, acquisitions, legals around takeovers and some court cases in the States. What about you? I run a wine business with a guy from school. You should come by for a tasting. He smiles and she forces herself to echo it. Look, I have to go, but you're around later. 
We're having some family dinner thing, I think. This artist chap is arriving. I assume you'll be there, as you're staying here. I don't know, she says. And I'm sure we'll see each other around. He retreats back the way he came. Olivia pulls out her phone and makes some notes about Philip, then grabs her bag and walks out into the Venetian morning. She is getting used to the feeling of being on land and at sea at the same time in this city. Paddy gave her the address of his offices on Calais Goldoni, and she walks along the ancient alleyways and across the squares of Gothic houses, trying to think about work and not be awestruck by the architecture every minute of the journey. A discreet sign on one side of a stone doorway simply states, Cornish Enterprises. Beyond the front door, a modern glass lift sits incongruously in a 300-year-old shaft. The doors open on the second floor into a completely modernised space. There is a woman sitting at one of the desks. She has thick, dark chestnut hair tied back and is wearing a caramel suit and white shirt. The suit jacket hangs to one side on a modern coat rack. Hi, I'm Olivia Street. Hello. The woman stands up. I'm Nicole, Paddy's business manager. They shake hands. This will be yours. She points out one of the three identical desks in the twenty-foot square office. They chat for five minutes about the city. Then Nicole says, I need to get on, but let me give you these files. She turns and lifts a pile of paper folders from a side table and hands them to Olivia. Paddy likes his paper, she says, to counter an unasked question. You do use computers, though. Sure, but Paddy doesn't like them. We have to print it all out if he needs to look at something. Just like the nineties, says Olivia. They smile at each other, and she takes the paperwork to her desk. Olivia spends the morning looking through the details of Paddy's previous art purchases and background information on the new Biennale contracts. The two women talk occasionally, but are mostly both engrossed in their tasks. Exactly at 1pm, the lift arrives on their floor, and a woman steps out into the office. Her green eyes shine behind a fringe that touches her eyelashes as she blinks. Her clothes are expensive and beautiful, but simply cut. Hello, Nicole, she says. I've got this gig, working for Malin and Christina, on the exhibition. I heard, says Nicole. We need a contract for the transport. After what seems like more than a second, Nicole introduces the woman to Olivia as Isabel Bishop, part of the exhibition team, and the two of them go through the contract details together. When they've finished, Isabel looks uneasy. Anything else you need? says Olivia. I'll bring the finished version to you later today if you like. I need to visit the site. That's everything. Thanks she says, getting up and going to stand in front of Nicole's desk. Have you got five minutes? Sure. In private. Come with me, we'll go into Paddy's office. Olivia tries not to watch them through the glazed part of the wall, but she gleans enough to witness that Isabel is emotional. She is much more animated than when she was chatting about contracts to Olivia. Nicole seems to be placating the other woman, reassuring her that, Whatever it is, we'll be all right.
After ten minutes, the women emerge, and Isabel goes straight to the lift, where the empty car is waiting. She presses the button inside, and the doors close behind her. Olivia notices that Nicole is upset as she sits back down behind her desk, but she doesn't say anything. Olivia sorts out the contract, then decides to take lunch and walk to the exhibition site to meet Isabel later in the afternoon. She finds a cafe in the sun, dawdles over her food, then doesn't go directly to her meeting. She wanders through the eastern side of the city and stands looking out at the other islands dotted about in the cool blue water around Venice. It is about 2.30 in the afternoon when she arrives at the Giardini della Biennale, the exhibition park that sits near the southernmost tip of the Castello district of the city. She finds the Great Britain pavilion and goes inside. The space is a hive of activity. Lighting cables run between rooms that have plain white walls and nut-brown floors. Workmen shout in Italian at each other, either agreeing or disagreeing. Large wooden shipping containers are stacked, unopened, in the second room, and chairs and tables sit regimented against the back wall. In the middle of the chaos, a woman sits, seemingly unaffected by the noise around her. Her black hair is tied up in a purple Jack Ma scarf. She wears a long, fitted black dress and has glasses with red, circular metal frames. She has a large iMac in front of her and is feverishly flicking through images on the screen. Then she suddenly finds what she's looking for and yells at the top of her voice in Italian at one of the workers. He walks to her and they discuss the picture with animated hands on both sides. Isabel comes round the corner and sees Olivia. She walks over to her. Hello, let me introduce you to Christina. They go to the woman behind the computer, who takes a few seconds to surface from her own world before looking at them. Christina, this is Olivia, says Isabel. Paddy's new lawyer. Walk with me, she says to Olivia, and moves off without waiting for a reply. Olivia knows a power play when she sees it. Christina barks more orders in Italian to the workforce, then indicates the outside door with a head movement to Olivia. They step out into the air, and Christina pulls a packet of cigarettes from her pocket. She offers one to Olivia, who declines. Then she lights her cigarette with a black baobab lighter. How long have you been in the game? She says. Law? says Olivia. Long enough. You know Paddy? Met him yesterday. You must be good. I am, says Olivia. Christina smiles and takes a deep drag on the cigarette, then blows out a cloud into the afternoon. I've known him for twenty-five years before he sold his bloody tin factory, says Christina. You didn't like his business? It was killing him. Working all the hours, I'd like to think I helped the Yanks look seriously at buying it. You were involved, says Olivia. I have the contacts because art is an exceedingly good entry point into the lives of rich families, says Christina. Why is that? For many of them, if they're not car-obsessed or addicted to some pharmaceutical, owning art is a way they send themselves the message that they've made it. Not the aesthetics, 
Then, why do people buy art? says Christina, looking directly at her. They like the way it looks? For rich clients, it's either about fitting into a house colour scheme or showing off. That's the business. Aesthetics it ain't. Christina throws the cigarette to the floor and grinds it into the dirt. What do you need from me? says Olivia. Take away my pain, says the woman. Be efficient, clever, and just bloody get on with it. Fine by me. They go back into the pavilion and Christina goes off to talk to Isabel. Olivia watches the interaction between the two women. The older woman is offhand with her assistant, who stands beside her, palpably needing her recognition. The main dining room table in the Palazzo Mandola has been laid for ten. At 7.30, Olivia leaves her room and walks down to where the drinks are to be served. When she walks in, Jess is already there, talking to her father, and a woman that Olivia takes to be her mother. She turns and introduces Olivia to them. Nancy is a tall, smiling woman, with striking eyes of coral blue, high cheekbones, and bobbed dark-brown hair. She talks calmly and attentively to Olivia, who finds that a conversation with her is paced so as to be relaxing. The children wander in at various times, and Olivia watches the different relationships play out. Philip tends to hold court, being more boisterous and confident than the others. Jess holds her own more successfully than Emily, who is talkative but seems less interested to impress anyone. Emily has brought her boyfriend, Chaz, who looks scared to meet all these people at once. Finally, Joel enters the room. He has dark hair, almost black. He is holding hands with his wife, Anna, who is as charming as his mother. Joel sees Olivia and walks around the back of the group to introduce himself, while Anna watches him like a hawk. Maria, the maid, listens carefully to the conversations as she moves invisibly around the room, refilling glasses. They all talk inconsequentially until it is time for dinner. Paddy tells them that Malin will arrive at about 9.30 as he is coming by train, given his fear of flying. They move next door and eat anchovy crostini and wine-poached scallops, followed by pumpkin gnocchi and tuna tagliata. Paddy is a great storyteller and knows about the history of each of the dishes and the wines that go with them. He doesn't always hold the attention of the whole table, but he doesn't seem to mind. As they reach the end, Maria runs into the room, in a panic. She talks very quickly in Italian to Paddy, at a speed that only he and Nancy can understand, given the years that they've lived here. "'What is it, Dad?' says Joel. "'Some sort of accident.' He talks to Maria again, and translates for the others. At the station, Mr. Reed? Oh, God, says Nancy. Malin. Half of the diners all stand almost simultaneously. Paddy calls out that he is going there now, and that Joel and Jess should go with him. Philip objects, but his father is firm, and Olivia sees the command that he has over the room when a crisis occurs. 
At midnight, Paddy, Joel and Jess arrive back and relate what happened. Malin arrived at the Santa Lucia station in Venice and, as he walked along the platform, a man had appeared out of nowhere and attacked him. He had tried to take his briefcase. Some other passengers saw this and ran to help. The man tore open the briefcase and only got away with a handful of papers that had fallen onto the ground. Malin was badly shaken and an ambulance was called. Paddy relates that the man has a cut on his head and one leg has been injured. They are keeping him in the hospital overnight due to his age, but the doctors say he'll be out in the morning. The family are silent as they listen. Then all say how terrible it is once Paddy has finished. Do we need to do anything else, Dad? says Jess. What do you mean? says Paddy. Will he be okay? I think so. What was the paperwork? says Olivia, and the family all turned to her. Is that important? says Philip, a little too quickly than seems natural. It's aggressive, darling, says Nancy. I just mean there are more important things to think about right now. I didn't mean to be insensitive, says Olivia, but it sounds like a targeted attack to me. You could be right, says Paddy. Do you know what the papers were, Jess, Joe? The two of them shake their heads. We should find out, says Paddy. Can you follow up, Olivia, tomorrow? Of course. I suggest we all get some sleep, says Paddy, and the group starts to disperse. Except, Olivia notices, for Anna and Philip, who stay behind to have more wine.